Anybody know CPR in case I like have a heart attack or stroke out? I had a heart attack six years ago. It's possible. From WBZ Chicago, this is The Trouble with Shannon Kaysen. I'm Shannon Kaysen. On The Trouble, I talk to people who've been in serious trouble, or maybe they're still in it. We all are in our own ways. <laughs> okay, so this is the second half of a two-part story. If you haven't heard part one, you should. As a matter of fact, stop right now and go back and listen to part one. You don't bend. She's got to have it on Netflix and start at episode 10. It's a good series. You watch it in order. Okay, now that everyone's up to speed, let's get to it. You remember in part one, we talked with Richard Jones, a man who was sentenced to 19 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. I went in there and the foreman read off their verdict and, and, and they found me guilty. I cried. Like, for real, man, like, I broke down and cried, like, literally. He served 17 of those 19 years in a maximum security prison before being exonerated. They own you 24-7. You in a one-man cell. It's just dark. They don't breed anything but negativity. Turns out, Richard had a doppelganger. When I saw a side angle of the dude, and mine too, like, it was crazy. Like, the same facial structure, hair, everything, man. As you'll also remember, Richard's conviction hinged on an eyewitness testimony alone. I saw you. That's it. No DNA, no security cameras, no physical evidence. Just, I saw you with my own eyes. One of the witnesses was Tamara Shear, the victim of the crime. She first picked Richard Jones' face out of a photo lineup, then pointed him out again in court at his trial. She testified that he was her attacker. I saw you with my own eyes. Today, we're talking with Tamara about what happens when your eyes deceive you and help send the wrong guy to prison for 17 years. Also today, Tamara and Richard, the victim and the accused, they're going to talk to each other face to face eye to eye for the first time. Richard said he wanted that. How much does it take? You know, she can call my lawyers or the prosecutor and say, well, you know, I would like to talk to him. So we reached out to her. When I think back, you know, what would I do if I was in his position? I would be mad. I would be incredibly angry. We'll get to their meeting in a bit. But first, I wanted to sit down with Tamara to get her side of the story. Tamara, first, I want to thank you. I tell stories, and, and I, my whole thing is telling stories that sometimes aren't the easiest stories to tell and even to hear. Like, I hear a lot of stories, and this is probably one of the bravest. I'm grateful that you're willing to talk. So thank you for being here. Sure. What happened on <laughs> May 31st, 1999? Like, describe the crime as best you can remember. Well... So it was really warm that day. So I was going to Walmart to get my daughter a sprinkler. I had to work that evening. So I had my um, eight-year-old daughter with me. Mm -hmm. And we pulled in the parking lot, drove around for a parking space, and parked. 
And then I got out and stood behind my vehicle, had a Jimmy, a GMC Jimmy, waiting on my daughter to get out. And I had seen this car when I was looking for a space drive past. And then it like pulled up towards me real slowly and passed. And then when my daughter got around to the back of the vehicle, I felt something jerk on my right arm really hard, like my shoulder. So the person came up behind me and like pulled my purse strap and tried to yank it off of me. So then I turned around and from there, it's a little fuzzy. He pushed me. I hit him. He kept trying to get my purse and I was hitting him. And at some point, my cell phone flew out of my purse. Back then it was these big clunky, you know, big (laughs) cell phones. So I had grabbed my cell phone, and when I went down to grab it, he pushed me, knocked me down, and then I landed on my back and, like, used my feet and, like, kicked him, like, on his chest, stomach, you know, backwards and sent him flying. And then he took off, hopped in the car that was waiting. At some point in the fight, I did rip his shirt off. You you fight back, huh? Yeah, well, I'm from, we call it the dot here, Wyandotte County. It's kind of like um, maybe downtown Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. While this was happening, there were people standing around, probably at least 10 or 15 people. Nobody helped me. And that was one of the things my daughter said. She was like, Mom, why didn't anybody help? And I'm like, honey, I don't know. Hmm. Um, There was one man that says, was that your boyfriend? And I do remember saying, fuck no, that's not my boyfriend. Hmm. You know, but there were people that just stood around and watched. But your daughter remembered that because she was standing there. She did. Yeah, she was screaming. She was hysterical. You know, nobody comforted her. Nobody helped her. Nobody helped me. Nobody got involved. Everybody just stood around. After the crime, police asked Tamara to come in and look at a photo lineup. My only description, because I didn't get a chance to get a full look at the person's face. I mean, I know there was dark hair. I think there might have been a little bit of facial hair. The hair was kind of pulled back. But, uh, you know, so it was skin color that I was going with. And I initially had said that I thought it was a Hispanic person. um, And I'm fully going off of skin color, really. Mm -hmm. And so then when they did the lineup, they asked me if any of the I don't remember how many pictures they showed me, nine or I don't know, um, if any of them look like the person. And I said, you know, well, I'm not real sure. And they're like, do you think this and that? And I was like, well, it has to be this one because there was only one lighter skinned person in the lineup. The rest of them had darker skin. So, I mean, I chose the lighter skinned. How certain were you the day when you when you picked that person out of the photo lineup? It's kind of a it's kind of a, a mixed emotion thing because I was not a hundred percent sure. I mean, mm-hmm. if I would have been shown four pictures of lighter skinned black men or Hispanic men, I don't know if I would have been able to pick them out. So I guess I wasn't too, too certain, you know, and I said, well, I think it's this one here, you know, blah, blah, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do remember the detective telling me, you know, well, that's who we have. Someone else has already ID'd him, you know, after I chose that person. At that point, I was pretty confident that it was the right person. So even with the photo lineup being mostly dark skinned people, and did you think that was weird or? At the, at the time, when I initially did it, it didn't cross my mind. I was just so overwhelmed by the whole process. You know, like I'd never been through anything like this. I'd never looked at a lineup. But, you know, it was just kind of overwhelming, really. Walk us through the day in court where you called to testify. Well, I was really nervous. I mean, I'd never even testified in court before. And beforehand, they kept assuring me 
um, when I was in the waiting room that, um, and I say they, I'm not exactly sure who it was, someone from the court. Mm-hmm. They were like, you know, this is fine. You know, we're going to do good. We know we got the right person. We got an eyewitness. Someone's in the car. You're going to be fine. You just have to get up there and tell your story. Just answer the questions. Everything's going to be fine. Then I did. I got up on the stand. I was really, really nervous. I know I felt like I was going to vomit and I was kind of angry because my eight-year-old daughter was there, you know, and she witnessed the whole thing. And then she kept talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And, you know, so then we go to Walmart. She's like looking around paranoid, you know, in parking lots. And so I do remember being a little bit of angry over that. But I think my nervousness mostly came from just the whole process and just being ushered through the steps. And they had asked me to point the person out in the courtroom, whom I thought it was. And, I mean, obviously I pointed to the defendant, the guy sitting there. And, I mean, I don't know that I ever made eye contact with him other than when they told me to point the person out in the courtroom. I mean, I think I was, like, I don't know, trying not to look. On that stand, how certain were you that this was the right guy? I, I was very confident. I was very confident that that was the right person. Um, He fit what little bit of a a mental picture I had of the person. But looking back now, I really question myself. I think that a lot of the confidence that I had that day and all the days up until a few months ago, it was based on the reassurance that I received from the detectives that they had the right person in custody. The detectives thought they had the right person. Tamara thought she had the right person. The jury thought they had the right person. The judge thought he had the right person. So we all know what happens next. How did you react when the judge handed out a 19-year sentence? I thought it was a little excessive. I mean, yes, I I understand that they were calling it strong-arm robbery, but I mean, literally... It was a fight in Walmart's parking lot. I mean, the only marks that I had on me, I had um, one little mark where the person hit me in the face, but it was just red, Mm. bruised a little, you know, not much. I had uh, scrapes on my elbows and my knees, and my knuckles were sore from hitting. But beyond that, I mean, it was nothing more than probably less than getting into a normal fight. Yeah, the dot is pretty tough. you like, it's just a punch on the face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also have brothers. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I did think that the sentence was quite excessive for what happened. Um, I was shocked. I, I, was, I was surprised. Did you think about this guy named Rick over those 18 years as the years were passing by? Did you think back about that person? Uh, nope. I did not. Every so often I would get something in the mail saying that there was an appeal that was filed, but it was denied, you know, and then I would think about it again. But no, I I really didn't. I mean, to me, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. But 17 years later, that would all change. In 2016, the Innocence Project at KU reached out to Tamara. And unexpectedly, Richard Jones would reappear take center stage in her life. The Innocence Project kind of explained to me, you know, lots of appeal processes, everything had been exhausted, you know, he says that he's innocent, and, and you know, you always hear, you know, oh, everybody in prison says they're innocent, so I was mm-hmm. kind of skeptical, I was like, you know, whatever, but I'll talk to you guys, you know, it's fine, 
but I think when they showed me the two photos of Richard Jones and of the other Richard, and they said, do you mind looking at these photos and let me know if you can choose the right guy? And they showed it to me and I'm like, well, I don't know. It's the same person. And they're like, well, if you had to choose one, which would you choose? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, it's the same person. And they're like, no, this is two different people. That's when alarm bells started going off. And I started thinking, holy crap, you know, did I just help put the wrong person away for all this time? And yeah, that's when it kind of, that's when I really started to suspect. And I was like, gosh, you know what? Honestly, it's a flood of emotions. It's confusion. It's almost disappointment, um, sadness, sadness, definitely. Hmm. Just can't, you know, and then I started thinking, I was like running through all this stuff in my head and I'm like, oh my gosh, I like, I helped put this person away. Like, you know, he had a small child at the time, you know, you know, that child never got to grow up with his dad. And, you know, I just like went through all of these different, just different emotions remorse remorse like i felt so bad when we called you and uh asked if you would come meet richard what was going through your mind with <laughs> that uh, um nervous nervous it, right i mean obviously i mean awkward nervous mm-hmm. i don't know it makes me like obviously emotional i guess just so i can say i'm sorry i mean Mm-hmm. I mean, really, what good does sorry do? That doesn't give this man back his, you know, his life. Doesn't give him back any quality time with his kids or family or, you know, I just. It's just, it's tragic. It's tragic. And then there's anger. I have this anger because the person that actually did the crime We'll never even have to answer for it. That's frustrating. That's very frustrating. What did your daughter think about you meeting with Richard? You know, honestly, I don't know because I didn't tell her. Hmm. Was it a reason you didn't tell her? Well, I really didn't tell anybody. I just don't want anybody to try and talk me out of it I didn't want anybody to tell me that it was a good idea I didn't want anybody to tell me it was a bad idea Mm. I just needed just to be open minded like I didn't need to be judged I've already had enough with this whole process of people telling me you know this way or that way you know like telling me yes they have the right person and you know I just wanted to do it on my own I just didn't want to tell anybody what are you feeling at this moment like as you're about to meet Richard um, I'm nervous. Um, you know, I know everybody keeps telling me, oh, he's very nice. He's a very gentle-mannered person. And when I think back, you know, what would I do if I was in his position? I would be mad. I would be incredibly angry, you know, that the whole system failed him, that everything failed him, you know, from the appeal process, from the, you know, I don't want to say his lawyers failed him, but, you know, the detectives mm-hmm. I would be incredibly angry. And then in my head, it would make the most sense to start your anger off with the victim, the person that said, you did this to me. That would probably be my first direction of anger. So I don't know. 
just nervous. I can't help but feel bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a hand in it. I had a big hand in it. Like I said, you can't say, oh, sorry. You know, it doesn't work like that. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to say to him. I don't know. Up next on The Trouble, Richard and Tamara meet. I don't want anything from her but apology. Like I said, I hate that that happened to her. I don't condone that, and especially in front of her daughter. But she knows what she did. Shit, I'm nervous because I don't even know what's going to happen. I guess we'll find out next on The Trouble. So here's what's happening. Tamara's waiting in the studio. She's obviously nervous and a little overwhelmed. She decided to come here today entirely on her own without asking for anyone's opinion or support. While Tamara's waiting in the studio, Richard walks in the building. It's mixed feelings, actually. I mean, like, I, I mean, like, I never saw this happening. I mean, I never thought that uh, I'd be talking to her or, or just even being in the same building or anything of that nature. So it's just... This is the moment. I'm, I'm real nervous, but I'm I might not CPR in case I, like, have a heart attack or stroke out. I'm just... This has been a long time coming. That's all, you know. That's the bottom line. It's been a long time coming. Richard is about to walk down a hallway and open a door. Simple stuff, right? I don't hold any grudges. But behind that door is the person who in 2000 swore under oath that Richard did a crime that he didn't do. I had a heart attack six years ago. It's possible. A person that in many ways cost him 17 years of his life. I'm coming. I'm just... Look forward to this right right now, you know. <sighs> and now they're sitting down to talk. Ready? And look at each other eye to eye. For the very first time. Hello, it's Mary. Hi. How you doing? I'm okay. Yeah. How are you? I don't know. I'm it's so... It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I know. I understand. I understand. I'm not mad at you. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, gosh. I had him bring up boxing. Thank you. I never thought it. Can I just say I'm sorry? I'm so incredibly sorry. I know it doesn't fix anything. I know it doesn't give you back your life. It doesn't give you back the time that you missed with your family and your daughter. But I'm so sorry. I accept your apology. Uh, it's kind of hard for me, but on the same note, it's a relief. It's not hard for me to sit here and talk to you because I'm not mad at you. Thank you. I mean, like. I would be. Well. I would be so angry at the whole thing. Like, I was. I even. I, I would was. have so much anger and rage inside me. I did have that, you know, for the longest. Um, for the longest, I just didn't understand what was going on. I couldn't figure it out. Um, I think that. 
everything that's happened in my life has happened for a reason. And I just know that I'm not in a position that they mad at you. The fact that you apologize to me means a lot. It's not something that I want you to hold in your heart because we human. We all make mistakes. And I mean, I was going. I was gone for seventeen years, but you know, in the process of me being gone, I, just, I grew up a lot. And I know I can't get that time back, but um, I just don't want you to hold it in your heart and uh, allow it to consume you and get the best of you because I don't hold any grudges against you whatsoever. Thank you. That says a lot about you and your character because I don't know if I could not hold a grudge. I mean... I mean, you know, the most precious thing in the world was taken from you, time. Something that can never be given back. And I don't know. Well, I think you're a bigger person than I would be because I, I just, in my, I, I, I'd be consumed with rage. I'd be angry. Well, you know, I don't really feel like I'm any bigger than anyone. I just know that I'm in a better place now. And hopefully, I hope you're in a better place concerning this situation because I don't want you leaving here feeling guilty or any kind of negativity concerning. I had a lot of guilt. Like, since the Innocent Project came that day and showed me the picture of you and that other person, and I was like, oh, fuck. Well, you know, at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself, like, what was the odds of this whole situation? You True. know, like something that you just see on TV that you, you would never think would happen to you. During that whole case, I just always told myself that the truth was going to present itself. You know, I didn't know that it would be 17 years later. But the fact that the truth came out, Says a lot. I, I completely understand what you're saying and what you're getting coming from, but I don't know. I would still have some anger. Well, it did consume me for a long time. I mean, I was like negative for a long time. I'm, I was mad at the world. I, I didn't understand why I was why this was happening to me. I couldn't figure it out. But I think at the time it wasn't meant for me to figure out. But did you not have the "I told you so"s anger? You know, like see mother. Um. <laughs> I don't think it was the the I told you so attitude. It was more of a relief because I could allow it to consume me and, and eat me alive, you know. But, I mean, if I'd have done that, then what, what would have benefited? Does this meeting bring any closure? Oh, oh, definitely. Definitely brings some closure. I think it puts the period on the sentence, man. Just to know that you're not holding a grudge against me and, you know, I don't. I don't have to live with the guilt. I think that this had to be done right here. I don't think either one of us could have moved on with our lives if this hadn't been done. This is how I wanted it to go. I know we we both was boohooing when we first met, but (laughs) you just don't understand just how far apology goes. You know, just the fact that you're woman enough and human enough to come say, hey, I made a mistake and I'm sorry. Thank you for taking your time out just to come and just sit down with me. And I know it's really not the ideal situation, you know, as far as privacy. But I'm okay with that because I hope the world hears this. It goes to show you that forgiveness is everything. I thank both of you so much for your, your bravery and sharing both your stories and in the the bravery to meet 
to meet in person. <laughs> that's that's truly. I mean, uh, I'm touched. I'm touched, and uh, thank you for doing this. I thank you, man. That's you what know? I was gonna say. Thank yeah. you guys for hooking this up. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a big crybaby. I can't always keep the water behind my eyes all the time. It's the wind. The wind is blowing. You know? <laughs> but this story got to me. It got to me deep. Because here's the thing. Richard Jones has every right not to forgive Tamara. Or anyone for that matter. Think about it. He got screwed over by the very system that's supposed to protect him. He didn't even get any compensation. Sometimes I see people get exonerated on TV and I think, well, damn, he's a millionaire now, but not Richard, not a dime. Because although most states have laws that compensate victims of wrongful conviction, Kansas does not. A bill introduced in early 2017 tried to change that. The bill would have compensated $80,000 per year in prison. If passed, Richard would have become one of those millionaires. The bill didn't pass. And so Richard came out of prison at age 41 with literally nothing. No belongings, no money, no job, no home, nothing. And yet, he forgives. And you know what? Tamara Shear has every right not to say I'm sorry. It's not her fault. She was also the victim here. This man's life wasn't on her. The photo lineup was suggestive. The detectives encouraged her and boosted her confidence, telling her that she had chosen the right man. The process was rigged. And yet, she's sorry. She's so terribly sorry. I'm sorry. I forgive you. In many ways, we're all waiting a lifetime to hear those same words. Richard and Tamara sure were. And I'm just thankful to be a witness to it because it makes something certain for me personally. It solidifies something in my mind and heart. I know that I know something now. I know that no matter how long it takes, no matter what the circumstances, it takes two brave individuals to say those words and to accept those words. And there's equal power in both. The Trouble is a production of WBZ Chicago. I'm Shannon Kaysen. The producer is Candace Mattel-Khan. The senior producer is Joe Dassault, and executive producer is Brendan Benizak. Our intern is B. Aldridge. Thanks to the folks over at KCUR in Kansas City for their help in making this episode possible. Shout out to Ron Jones and Dan Margolis for helping to record. And a special thanks to Steven Steigman for engineering and coordinating from KCUR. We're looking for other stories of trouble. You've been in trouble and I want to talk to you. We're at The Trouble Pod on Twitter, or you can shoot us a note at thetroublepod at gmail.com. Tell me about the shit you got yourself into and how you got out of it or didn't. Subscribe to The Trouble on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to these things. And make sure to rate The Trouble. And do me this one favor. Try to stay out of it. 
What the hell? Get out of here, cat. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.